Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, uh, welcome back to Mission Whitetail. We got a really cool guest today, Andy May. He's been a buddy for a couple years. Uh, through I, I've met through social media. He, uh, like me and Kevin, is big into the archery side of bow hunting, uh, gets really technical uh, with his setups as, as well as how he hunts and where he hunts and just a, a great story. Uh, you know, Andy, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth here, let you talk a little bit, but, you know, kind of grew up not in a hunting family, if you will, and kind of learned everything on your own and just a, a real fascinating story. So if you don't mind, man, you know, just tell us a little bit about kind of your history. And I know you've done this on about 75 different podcasts, so you're probably <laughs> tired about talking about that. But if you would just give us a little little background on, on how you got going so our listeners can know more about you. Yeah, sure thing. No problem. Um, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, I love your guys' podcast. Love what you're doing. So uh, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I got started, um, like you said, I, I didn't come from a hunting family. I got started a little later in life um, and actually got started in archery before bow hunting. Um, my cousins got into bow hunting uh, the year before me, and, th and they were kind of like my brothers. I grew up an, an only child. Um, didn't have a dad around. So it was just my mom and I, and, um, they were kind of like my brothers and they got into bow hunting through a friend of theirs. And, um, the following, uh, right after the bow season, um, we have a, a really big, um, bow shop in my hometown or my old hometown of Jackson, Michigan It's called Shupex Archery. And they have a, a giant bow range, two floors, and um they run these winter leagues and my cousins were like you should you know you should try archery you know come shoot these leagues with us well i didn't own a bow or anything and i was over at their house one day this was in the winter you know in december or something and they handed me their bow and they're like you know shoot a you know those like old plastic garbage cans like the emmons garbage cans or whatever they're on the wheels or whatever and they're like oh, yeah. shoot an arrow at that or a garbage can so I just, you know, I've never, never really shot a real bow before, but I pulled it, <laughs> pulled it back and I was aiming at that thing, just shooting fingers, you know, and I'm kind of like aiming and I let go and it goes right into their garage. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that, that feeling when I released that arrow, I was like, that is freaking awesome, man. It just, I fell in love with it right then and there. And I ended up going down to uh shoe packs and I bought a used bow. It was a, it was a bear. I can't remember exactly which one it was. But that's how it all started. I got into those archery leagues. And um, I don't know if it was uh, – yeah, I don't know what it was. If it was, like, my mentality because I, I, I fell in love with it right away and I started practicing constantly. Well, I got in this archery league with – I mean, the, the hunting culture in my hometown of Michigan is as big as it gets for Michigan. Um, Jackson sure. County, um, it's – there's tons of hunters. It's a, it's a, a very 
well-known county in uh, in Michigan, and we got the biggest archery and gun shop in the whole state right here. So there is a, a giant culture here, and the leagues are full uh, Monday through Saturday, um, full with hunters, um, men, women that just you know are ate up with hunting. So there was a lot of like really seasoned bow hunters that were up there. And my very first year shooting in that league, I got first place. Oh wow! And, and that's with, you know, with no training or anything, but I think it was just, you know, I probably had a little good eye-hand coordination and I think just the way my mind worked, I fell in love with it. And when I kind of, when I fall in love with something, I tend to get obsessed with it and I'll practice and practice and practice, um, a lot like, like a professional athlete would, would practice on their craft, you know? And it's not something like I really choose to do it just I don't know I just feel driven to do it when I'm when I'm passionate about it and it's not with everything I do it's just certain things yeah I get you know? that <laughs> in fact in fact the things that I'm passionate about usually pull away from other things that probably deserve more attention but archery was one of those things and the owner of the shop his name is Brian Shupek and he's a big hunter big buck killer and he's like man you really need to bow hunt so I was like huh all right you know I I had done sports my whole life. I was slightly above average. You know, I was pretty good quarterback, baseball, average, basketball. I was, I was pretty good, but, you know, nothing special. I didn't really stand out in anything in my life, really, to be honest with you. Um, I always worked really hard at those things and wanted to be better at them, but I was limited by, you know, um, I guess by – <laughs> my genetics and and <laughs> talent i guess but um archery was one of those things like right off the bat like i i had some raw talent there you know i had some ability and it felt it felt really good to be honest with you it felt good to be decent at something so quickly um and to and something that i put work into and i immediately saw it so um i jumped right into bow hunting the next year and um I mean, it, it was all over after that. I just, I just completely fell in love with, with bow hunting and archery in general. And, uh, I've never really looked back and I've kind of always had that mindset, um, you know, all along of just, you know, trying to get better and just kind of pound at that craft and just improve, improve, improve and the archery side and the bow hunting side. Um, just never really got comfortable with like, you know, okay, you're good enough at archery. Like I always feel like if I can, if I can get this much better, it's going to help me that much more in the woods and, and, you know, equal that much more success. And you do that over time, you know, over years and years and years, it starts to make a difference. Maybe not every year you don't see it, but you start seeing it, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of my brief story, I guess. Uh, the first love was archery and then quickly following that was bow hunting. Well, speaking of archery, didn't you weren't you in a shoot last year with with Levi Morgan and you guys tied or got real close or something? W weren't you telling me that? Yeah, it was a uh, it was nothing, um, you know, nothing set up uh, professionally or anything. It was a it was a get together, a Spartan Forge get together. So it was a bunch of guys involved with the Spartan Forge um, app there, and they had set up a a course and. It basically we were just shooting at that red, um, that red target with the little white dot. I can't remember what it's called, but um, some of the guys that were 
uh, Lee Ellis, the guy from Seek One, you know, he was kind of setting up these shots, and they were crazy shots. Some were 100 yards, some were, you know, 50 yards up into a barn window, you know, just all these crazy shots that you would never see. And um, I don't know, there was 20 guys maybe in it. And uh, it was really cool to shoot next to Leva. I mean, you know, obviously the, the best 3D archer in the world. So it was really yeah, right. cool to kind of talk to him, ask him some questions, some archery questions. Um, really neat to see him shoot. And, man, he's he's just a machine. Um, but, like, the way we did it was everybody shot at a target, and the person that was furthest away was eliminated. So it went kind of went through it really quick. We got down to the last three guys, and uh, they decided on that one to eliminate uh, two people. And Levi and I were two furthest away. <laughs> and the that. guy, the guy that won um, was a, a a a younger guy. He probably said two words the whole weekend. Um, I think he was just there as like an intern, and he had just started archery like three years ago. <laughs> So, I figure, yeah, he's he's uh, he's got the natural ability too. Then, <laughs> yeah, and, and a heck of a story, you know, to tell all his buddies. Absolutely right. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're uh, it, it doesn't matter to me if you're shooting at one target. If you're hanging in there with Levi, that that you know that says something about what you got going on as far as shooting and and that sort of stuff. Uh, before we before we dive into bow equipment, um, you, you know, I. Just to add, you know, kind of more to, to what you do, tell us, t tell the guys a little bit about the log that you have that you've kind of kept from day one, because that really, I think I was talking to Joe Rentmeister, um, you, you know, and, and, and he was, you know, telling me about you. This is before you and I met. Um, and, and that to me was, was really fascinating. You know, a lot of guys keep up with some, certain things, but it, it, like, like your, like your archery, you're super detail oriented in that as well. T tell the guys a little bit about your log and about, you know, I mean, it's, it's literally a daily hunting thing, is it not? Yeah. So, um, from the very first, my very first hunt, I have a, uh, basically like a, uh, a hunting journal. I guess, you know, you know, it starts with the date, you know, where I was hunting, um, the stand location, the wind direction, the temperature at the start of the hunt, the temperature at the end of the hunt, the moon phase, um, you know, what I saw, a detailed explanation of what I saw. And <clears throat> I can't remember why um, I decided to do that. I don't recall if um, if I had read that, you know, that another hunter had done it. I don't really remember. But um, I have done that for every single hunt since my very first hunt. That's and yeah, it, it's really cool um, to look back at first, you know, I didn't really anticipate um, the benefits of it. But another thing that I did other than that journal, the journal is like a day by day, hunt by hunt. Um, but then what I also did was um, every successful hunt, I wrote the story out. So whether it was a doe, whether it was a buck, I wrote, you know, location, time, uh, the date, where I was hunting, exactly what happened as if I was telling you. And, awesome. um, yeah, I did that for all of my kills. And then I also, um, and I think this is key. Um, it was for me anyway, I did it for all of my opportunities that I didn't capitalize on, whether it was a miss or whether it was a buck in range and I screw up by like, you know, 
drawing and my, my bow made a noise or, or drawing when, you know, his head wasn't behind a tree, something, something where I should have killed that deer, but I didn't. So mm -hmm. I wrote that story out too. And then I wrote, you know, at the bottom, the, the reason why, the reason why I failed. Yeah. And I've, I've done that since day one. And um, so that really, the intel that you can go back and look at, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's priceless. Yeah. Well, that, that part in particular, um, kind of detailing out those, those failures and those mistakes that I should have converted on really helped me identify those mistakes and how to fix them. And so that doesn't happen again. And then the hunting journal, the day by day, man, so many benefits, not just the, the enjoyment of being able to go back and kind of read through those hunts and like, you know, how many bucks I saw in 1998 and how many, you know, how many opportunities I had and how that hunt transpired. But like, I really started to figure out, um, trends, you know, in certain areas that I was hunting, like, okay, you know, it was pretty, pretty slow through the beginning of October here. And then right around mid October, some two and three year old bucks started showing up. And then, you know, late October, I'm starting to get some three and four year old deer that are showing up. So I could really start to narrow that down these, these little time frames where each area that I was hunting kind of was optimal, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then another area might've, it might've been more early season when I was getting a lot of action. And then, on the rare occurrence that I did have a buck in Michigan to chase multiple years, that doesn't happen that often here. But when I would have that, now I could go back and be like, okay, this is what he did last year. This is what I saw him doing. And, you know, I could kind of look at that or anticipate that the following year. And then once we started using trail cameras a little more, now I'm getting my visual sightings. And I can compile that with like trail cam data. Now I'm really getting a picture of what this buck is doing year to year, where he's most vulnerable, when he's, when he's using this property or this area the most. So then now I can best utilize my time and be efficient. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. It just shows your dedication to the craft and, 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 you know, the, the prowess that you have with it. I mean, that, that takes a lot of effort. Um, you know, I'll, I'll write it down tomorrow or I'll get back to it next week. If you don't do it right then, you know, and mm -hmm. the, the dedication that takes to do it after every single hunt. I mean, that's, it's, well, it's you start, Yeah. And if, if you do, if you do push it off, you start missing details, you know, details that matter. And, um, you know, shoot, you, you push it back two, three, four days, then you got two other hunts in there. I mean, there's no, no way you're going to go back. Yeah. 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 So guys, that's something, you know, for the listeners that uh, are, you know, kind of just getting into it or, or, or want to do some stuff that uh, starting a journal is, is really a good idea. And, and I think they actually make them now, you know, journals that you can buy that have, you just kind of have to check boxes and, and, you know, have a place in there to put some notes. So it'd be, be easy to look some of those up. Do you have a particular one you use now, or you just use a notebook or spreadsheets? Well, I, I've always used it just a notebook, just hand, hand wrote them out. And then uh, what's a really cool feature and one of one of the reasons I really wanted to try the Spartan Forge app is that they actually have a journal feature now. So, you know, at the end of your hunt, you go to journal and everything's populated, the date, the time, the location, the weather patterns, you know, the temperatures, precipitation, moon phase, barometric pressure. It's all there because it's all infused in the app. And I can just, um, you know, type out what I saw, you know, what happened during the hunt. And I can even add photos. Like, let's say I, you know, maybe I saw a buck, 
cruise by that's a two-year-old and I can, you know, take a picture of it and put yeah. it in there. So that was a really cool, a really cool feature with that app. And that out of all the things that that app has, that was the one thing that was like kind of hooked me a little bit because sure. I'm a big journal guy. Right. Makes good sense, man. Yeah. Yeah. We need to look into that. Kev, you don't, do you have Spartan Forge? I don't, but I was talking to Randall Eric about it. Um, he sent me a bunch of info on it. I might have to, we'll have to look in. Yeah. Definitely have to look in. All right, Andy, let's, let's talk about your gear and, you know, why you select the things you select, uh, you know, with your archery background and your, your attention to detail. What what kind of bow do you – I mean, I, I know you shoot a Matthews. I shoot a Matthews. But t- tell us, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure you played around like us with a lot of different brands. Why, why is Matthews the brand that you go with? Um, well, uh, it wasn't always Matthews. Um, I've shot, you know, all kinds, Hoyt, um, Obsession, Elite, Bowtech, Matthews. Um, and when I was kind of going through my – what I, what I call kind of my, my really deep dive in archery. Um, I was buying and selling a lot of bows used off archery talk. So I shot really well and got comfortable with it. And then I would buy a second bow and kind of test it against the other one, learn how to tune both, learn how to tune the different cam systems and whatnot. And then I was always like testing bow versus bow. I was, I was always like a real analytical tester like performance like what what can i do with this bow what are the real numbers um you know i would use typically i would test that like you know i would measure groupings from like 40 and 80 yards at 40 and at 80 yards so i would shoot multitude of groups at 40 with this bow 40 with this bow and then again at 80 i mean tons of groups so i can get a real clear picture of like you know, I shoot this bow better, whether it's the geometry of the bow, the grip, um, you know, the way it's tuned, the axle to axle, whatever that was. I kind of went through that process with multiple bows and just kind of like started to really find out what, what I liked, you know, what I liked, what I shot best, what my body liked, what my anatomy liked. And, um, you know, there was always a bow that, that seemed to always come out on top for me. And then at one point I bought, um, uh, I heard someone uh, that I had a a lot of respect for locally um, say he shot the Halon 32. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah, the Halon 32 seven inch. And he was just telling me how accurate he was with this bow. And I was like, huh, because I hadn't shot a Matthews in a very long time. Um, So I ended up getting that bow and testing it against my number one bow. And all of a sudden, you know, I was even shooting better, like a, a, a bow that I couldn't top before. Now I was shooting better. And, you know, it's hard to say why. Um, like I said, I think I think people's shooting style and their anatomy, like some things just click. Some things just fit and feel right in your hand. You know, whether it's the grip or the, the size of the bow, the balance of the bow, you know, the let off. But something with that bow really clicked with me. And one thing that I, I noticed about it, it was a little bit heavier bow. Um, the grip was a little lower in the riser than some of the other bows that I had tested. And the arrow was running dead through right in the center. Um, it was uh, it was a little 
heavier on the top of the riser. So I started messing around with stabilization a little bit and I added some weight on the bottom half of the, uh, the riser there and just got that thing really balanced. And I was just shooting tacks with it. And all of a sudden my confidence that was already pretty high with this other bow, it really shot up. So, um, it's not like I was a, a dedicated Matthews guy. It was, I was looking for other bows that could outperform that one. Um, because to me, the ultimate is, is, you know, what am I going to have the most confidence in the woods with? And, um, I have yet to be able to, to top that. And over the last few years, um, you know, I formed a, a little partnership with Matthews. So now I, I love their cam system. Um, I love their bows. Um, uh, I have, very high confidence in them and and uh really at this point no need to try anything else i was doing that like i said through my kind of archery learning phase and really testing things out and i think that's where that deep dive with bows with arrow setups with releases with stabilization i mean i was i was testing all kinds of different stuff like every single day and man i just loved it and people some of my friends would make fun of me and they're like why are you why are you doing that? Why are you wasting all your time, you know, to, to gain it, you know, an inch more of improvement. And I'm like, well, one, I love this. You're like I I'm having fun doing this. Um, I would rather do this than go play golf. You know, yeah. I'd rather go out and test these things and see, you know, what, what's grouping better. It's fun to me, but it just goes along with everything else. Like I said before, like just gaining those little increments and in improvement, whether it's in your gear, your confidence in your gear, your woodsmanship in the woods, um, your physical fitness, whatever. I'm all about just gaining those little bits of improvement. And, and I felt like the time that I was spending doing that was translating into more success in the woods for me, whether it was a confidence thing or what, but I just started drilling animals and I just felt really confident that you know, if I was able to pull my back, my bow back on an animal, like it was a done deal. And, and I didn't always have that confidence. You know, I went through, you know, bouts with target panic and some bows that I just, you know, just didn't have the confidence in, but it was, you know, I was thinking of it more as like a tool. This is a tool to do a job. Well, it is, but now I look at it as like, it's, it's a, it's a part of my body almost like I want it to feel like it's a part of my body that it fits like a glove that everything feels right. And if you give me a bow that maybe feels a little different, the grip is a little off, the tune is off a little bit, or the balance is off. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, it feels like I got one shoe on and then I got another shoe on that has a sole this big. And it's just like, you know, I just feel so off. So I've really come to feel, um, to know that feel that I'm looking for in, in a bow. And when I have that, when I can, when I can um, obtain that through tuning my bow and balancing it and getting everything set up and my confidence is just through the roof with it. So yeah. to me, for me personally, it's <clears throat> worth it. Yeah. We, we, uh, we do a lot of testing, you know, chronographs, decibel meters, um, yep. you know, and, and nowadays they're so close with that. You, you know, they're, they're so close speed-wise. Hoyt Matthews, I mean, we're talking about two or three feet per second, you know, with the apples-to-apples apples bow. You know, even throw throw in some others, you know, that we've tested. They're all so close. And, and I was always, I want the quietest, fastest bow I can get. And it yeah. got to a point where they were all quiet, quiet and fast. You, mm -hmm. you know, some, some – 
you know, some are going to be a little bit louder than others, but the really high end stuff is, is really close. And then it, it did come down to feel, to draw cycles, to the feel of the bow, you know, it, 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 you know, eventually it does come down to that. And I guess that's where the bow manufacturers can, can all share in the market because it's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, you, you can't build something that everybody's going to like. Yeah. And a lot of my friends think the Matthews bows are top heavy, you know? Um, and they don't, they don't really care for them because maybe they don't balance like, a, you know, like a prime or, or something without stabilization. And I get that, but I, I actually like shooting a heavier bow. I'm, I'm more, I shoot, uh, my shots are more forgiving you know, through, for my errors. Like I am not a, I'm not a professional archer. I'm not a perfect archer. I'm full of mistakes and flaws, but by having a, a little bit heavier bow that's balanced with stabilization, it, it eats up some of my flaws a little bit. And I can still have a, a very forgiving arrow when I don't make that perfect shot. It's still hitting right there. But one thing you mentioned that I forgot to mention that is <laughs> right at the top of my list, a hundred percent is, is a quiet bow. Um, and yeah, now a lot of bows are catching up to Matthews, but for several years there, they were leading the pack. There's you know, no when that triax, yeah, when that triax came mm -hmm. out, and then and then the verdicts and then the VXR. I mean, those were those were way quieter than anything else on the market. And a quiet bow, a quiet setup definitely translates into better success in the field when you're taking that shot because I think there's a threshold there of and in, in, in these bows are like teetering on that threshold of, of what makes a deer react and what makes a deer not react. And I really believe that we're, we're right there. And some bows are a little over that and some bows are just a little under that. And I don't think it's much. I think we're right there because I used to have to aim, um, you know, when I had like my old high country and, uh, you know, some of these elites that I shot, they were loud. I could shoot them good but they were loud and I'd have a lot of deer duck my string. And, um, I, I used to have to aim dang, dang near at the bottom of the, of the deer to, to even get them. Um, cause I was shooting so many, hitting them high, hitting them high above the back straps. Um, you know, it was terrible. But when I, when I shot that, um, I think the triax was the first one I shot and I was just like, Holy smokes, like this thing's quiet. And people were making comments on it Man, that thing's quiet. And, uh, you know, it just, I started having deer react less and I saw the value in having a quiet bow. So then I started thinking like, okay, my, my bow's quiet. It's making a thud more than a, like a, a slap or a, or a loud, like jolt. Um, what are some other ways I can make it quiet? You know, broadhead, fletching, all these things. I really started trying to get as quiet as possible. And I was doing exactly like you do. I was recording it and setting a camera out there and hearing it whiz by. And then I would say, okay, you know, this one's a little quieter. Um, and that's how I settled on, you know, the fleshings that I did. But then I found like, okay, these quiet fletchings might not always steer the broadhead that I want as good as it can. So I started having to play around with that. Sometimes my quietest fletching that were really low profile wouldn't steer a you know, a fixed head worth a darn. So then I had to start looking at mechanicals and, and whatnot. Or if I did want to use a fixed head, something a little higher profile, but I still tried to find that quiet. You know, that's, that is that, that's other than feel and forgiveness in the bow. That is right up there with, 
with what I prioritize. Yeah, quiet. I mean, there's there's no doubt um, that that has to be the quietest. To, to me, it's the quietest, fastest bow you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 then you know, obviously, feel. It has to feel. You have to be able to shoot it well um, because you can't mm-hmm. have the quietest, fastest bow. And if you can't shoot it, it really doesn't do anything for you. Um, but you, you know, you 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 started talking about. Uh, broadheads. Um, I think I got it on the list here to get into a minute. But sticking with uh, sticking with the bows, do you put an aftermarket string on, or do you go with the zebra string that comes on the bow? Um. So I've shot the zebra strings. Um. Haven't had a, a whole lot of issue. Um. Maybe a little string stretch initially. Um. You know, I'll kind of twist everything down, get it where I want it shoot it for a while then i'll go back and test it and, and almost always i've lost like a couple pounds um so i know the, the string stress just just a touch um but usually once i set them that second time they're usually good to go um but the 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 last two bows i've actually had um i think i think his name is gene kosuth he's a friend of mine his dad makes custom strings um he's out of missouri and um, he sent me a couple of strings and i've been really really happy with those um, so I know there's a lot of, uh, really good aftermarket, um, strings out there, but I've talked to the guys at Matthews and the zebra strings now are not the zebra strings that were, you know, five, that's what I was ago. about to, that, that's exactly what I was about to say. I, I, Joel Maxfield, who, who works at Matthews, who I'm sure, sure, you know, he, he and our buddies yep. and, and, and we talk a lot and he says the majority of issues they get back at the factory like customers that have bows and return them for issues is because people put aftermarket strings that weren't correct and it it messes with the timing it messes with the cams and those are the most of the issues they get back are because of aftermarket strings and i mean look matthews has millions of dollars of equipment to test all of this stuff, to produce the best string possible. And, and yeah, I think Zebra at the beginning got a pretty bad rap, but, man, they, yep. they fixed that. And and do you shoot an aftermarket string, Kevin? No. No, I, I mean, we, we both – Kevin's shooting Hoyt this year. Um, and, and But, but you know, on your – you shot Matthews forever. You, you don't shoot a I – shot, I shot my – Triax with a F with the uh, zebra string for like three or four years straight, and and no issues at all. Yeah, yeah. Hold that thing. Yeah. The uh the aftermarket strings that I put on, I did not do that right out of the box. It was when my zebra strings kind of got worn out; they were ready for replacement, and then I wanted to try my buddy's dad's. Of course, I had, I had heard some really good things. Um, now, he and, will say that, and I, I didn't mean to – sorry to interrupt you, but he, he did say there are some very good aftermarket strings, but but they have to be in spec. You know, that sure. that's, the, that's the deal. Yeah, or, or my understanding. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Andy, what, what's, your, what's your draw length? It's 30 inches. So, are you a, a longer ATA guy, a shorter ATA, or do you? Does that matter to you? Yeah, it does matter. Um, so, I, I do, I do enjoy a short bow um, for maneuverability and certain things. Um, like I said before, I had the Triax, and I really liked that bow. But if I'm being honest, when I did my testing at 40 and 80 yards, my groups, you know. I would say 
eight out of 10 of my shots were just as good as my traverse. But then there'd be two flyers and I wouldn't be able to figure out why. And it, it, it happened repetitively with that bow. And that was a 28 inch bow. I mean, yeah. that's short, you know, and my traverse is a 33 inch feels very natural to me, very comfortable. And I just never got the flyers with that. And, you know, I'm so in tuned with my shooting. Like I can shoot at 80 yards and I can, I can hold and I pull, pull, pull back using back tension. And I can tell you instantly where that arrow is. Like just by where the pin is, where it breaks, I'll be like three inches left and low, you know, and I go up there and it's three inches left and low. And I, I just, it, everything I, I feel, I don't get like one that feels like it's dead money. And then I go up there and it's four inches to the right. It just, it just doesn't happen. I got everything so dialed in and tuned. Like it hits behind the pin where the pin is when that breaks, that's where that arrow goes. And I didn't have that with the Tri-X. I just didn't. And I think at my draw length, I think I was just getting a little bit too much knock pinch. So then they came out with the verdicts. The verdicts was um, 30 inches axle to axle. And I actually still have the verdicts. And I, I like that bow a lot. I hunt with it a lot still. Um, it's super quiet, as quiet as the triax. It's very maneuverable. And I just haven't been able to sell that bow. I just, I like it. I've killed too many things with it. I'm super confident. It's an awesome backup bow. Um, so I've, I've kept it. I've kind of come to the conclusion, like I can't go under 30 inches. I think that's my limit with how long my draw length is. With that said, I feel, I feel even more comfortable with like a, a 32, 33 inch bow. I feel like that fits me really well. Um, if I was going to go out and shoot, you know, 30 arrows at a hundred yards, or if I go to like the tack, I'm taking my traverse, I'm taking my traverse every time. And I'm going to shoot it. I will out shoot my other bows in the long run. But if, if, it, if I go out in the backyard and I'm shooting 60, 80, you know, hundred yards or whatever, and I'm shooting them side by side, you know, I, I almost can't tell the difference, you know, but that, that, that traverse that little bit longer axle to axle um it definitely feels more natural to me i'm not as i'm not as like crunched down my head isn't down like meeting the the string it's my head's in a much more natural position so i think over time um i just tend to shoot it a, a little better with that that verdicts if i'm all dialed in and everything's good and consistent shot to shot i shoot it as good as any bow but by having to do that every time you know, there's, there's room for error there when you're moving your head around to meet that string that cause of that, that sharp angle. So 32, 33 inches is kind of my wheelhouse. What are you shooting the phase four now too? Did you get one and are, are you trying it out? Yep. So mine, mine hasn't arrived yet. It's supposed to come this month. So I'm kind of waiting on that. I still have the, the V3X, yep. um, which I love that bow. I have my traverse. Um, and then I have that verdicts. So when I get that phase four, um, I usually, uh, I usually try to, uh, you know, give a bow to one of my buddies or something when uh, when the new one comes. But I'm I'm excited to shoot the the phase four if it's if it's like the V3X but a little quieter. It's going to be a winner because I love that bow. 
Yeah, and that's everything we're hearing um, from our pro shop. We hadn't gotten our hands on one yet either. Uh, we're we're going to. We just we've been swamped with trade shows and everything with mm -hmm. Osseo, so it's been tough for us. But we're we're after February, we'll be freed up some to to really start getting into our testing. And I'm that's everything I'm hearing is it's the V3X but quieter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you got that, I mean, what what more can you ask for, right? No, nope. I mean, not not much. <laughs> <laughs> When you're um, target shooting, are you a uh, high or low let-off guy? Do you mess with the let-off at all, or you just shoot it how it comes? Um, I like the 85%, um, probably just because that's what I'm used to. Um, I've, I've toyed around with the 80, and I shoot really good with the 80, but I always think that, that I always kind of go back to I'm, I'm used to the 85. It feels a little more comfortable. So when I throw that 80 on there, it just feels a little foreign to me. Like I can definitely feel that 5%. I shoot good with it, perhaps even better. I'd have to do some like extended testing with that. But I always think that that, um, you know, that little bit higher let off is, is good, you know, in a hunting scenario. I actually have a bad shoulder. Um, this year, uh, for the first time I, I have a slap tear in my, in my shoulder. I've had it for about six years and, you know, I've kind of been fighting through it. Um, the last few years I've been shooting, you know, I usually, I usually have a 70 pound bow and I'll usually kind of twist it up to like 72, 73 pounds is something I've always felt really comfortable with, but it was the middle of the season this year. I started having some major problems with my shoulder and every time I drew my bow back, I was getting pain. And then at full draw, I was feeling like really like tremorish and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this isn't good. So I've, I've actually been talking to a surgeon. I've been doing therapy, all that stuff. Right now I have my bow turned down to 65 pounds and if it feels good and I'm shooting without a lot of pain, I've been through um, six weeks of therapy. So I am, I am really starting to, think about that the longevity um he said i got pretty significant arthritis in my in my right shoulder probably from shooting so much and um you know the the injury that i have is not something um that they like to operate on someone my age i'm 45 years old they actually don't like to do that surgery on anyone over 30 wow. because um 80 of the time they said roughly roughly 80% of the time it contributes to increased arthritis and stiffness in the shoulder within two years. And they said, I already have a considerable amount of arthritis. So they said the best thing for me, at least this guy's opinion is therapy, strengthen, stabilize, try to maybe reduce the shooting as much, reduce the poundage. So the let off thing, um, smooth draw bows, that's, that's kind of where, I think my my bow hunting career is, is headed because no, I want to I want to be able to do this I want to be able to do this long term and I mean my arm is going to have to fall off before I use a crossbow so w w without a doubt we we are right there <laughs> with you and and I've got old football injuries and and a lot of arthritis starting to build up so it's something I'm paying attention to I got you by a couple years in in, in age yeah. but um it's 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 Kevin's young bud. He doesn't have to worry about it. He uh, my shoulder is <laughs> acting up a little bit this season. Andy, yeah. I put the um. Can you hear me? Yeah, I yeah. put the seventy five percent let off mods in my traverse at the beginning of the season, and holy moly, that thing wanted to just take it from you. It seemed like mm -hmm. it was. 
it was crazy. I ended up being able to get the muscle memory down and start shooting it pretty well, but I don't think I'm probably going to switch them back over to the, the 85s or 80s that that thing had because it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, when it's, when it's freezing cold and you're in Kansas, I want 85% let off because if I got to hold it back for a while, I want every advantage I can get. Yeah, and I've I've actually used uh I've used an obsession bow and an elite that had like ninety percent let off. I think when they really measured it, it was even like a touch more. And when I when I first shot those bows, I'd draw it back and you'd hit that ninety, and it was like, holy crap! This is I it, my first impression was like, this is awesome. I can hold this back forever. But what I really started to find out was. Um, I wasn't nearly as accurate with those bows. And when you have a, a really high let off bow like that, there's like hardly any tension on that string. So you're real susceptible to little errors in your release, facial pressure. You know, if you got a mask on, any little thing that's messing with that string, because it with 90% let off, it's just, it's just barely there. There's like hardly any tension. So I think 85 for me personally is a good sweet spot. I'm holding back some some weight, not too much. I can hold it back comfortably. I can't hold it back forever, but I can hold it back long enough. It hasn't cost me yet. So yeah. I will say where I'm with, at. I will say with like the Hoyts, when I messed with the different let off, it didn't seem like it it changed it much. It it maybe like shortened the draw length a little bit. And maybe that's what it does on all of them, but um it seemed like the Matthews was a little more drastic when I switched around the let off than, than like the Hoyt or another bow. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's dive into uh, arrows. Okay. I think, uh, I think we got pretty talking whitetail setup. You, you good, Kev? I was going to – one other thing with your – it's not your bow setup, but what, what release do you like to shoot right now, Andy? So – <laughs> I have I have quite a few releases. Um, I I have hunted with um, a Carter Two Simple uh, Three Finger, pretty much exclusively for the last I don't know, maybe eight nine years. Um, it's just a, I I like it because I can hook it to the D loop and just kind of let it sit there. One thing I like about that particular one um, is there's a you know there's a little button to cock it and when you put the jaws around your D loop and you hit that button, it closes. So that button closes it where I had a stand before, which I love the stands. Um, they're, they're very comfortable. They even have more adjustment, but I would have to, I would have to cock it and then close the jaw. And I, I, I don't know. I just didn't really like that extra step. I know with a thumb button, you kind of set it on there and you're good to go. But like, in a spot and stalk situation, um, a lot of times I'm hunting, you know, hunting antelope, mule deer, or whatever, and things might happen quick. And you like, oh, here's, you know, or elk or whatever, something moves in quick. Like I liked that I could just hit that that little cocking button and it would it close the jaws. And it's got a short head on it um, on the release, and it just fits my facial features really well. And when I would switch to like one that had a little bit longer head, all of a sudden I felt like, you know, everything was kind of a little further on my face, you know, felt a little looser. I didn't feel as tight. So I've just kind of always gone back to that release. With that being said, um, there are a couple times where I'll use an index finger release. 
Um, like the last time I went elk hunting, I used that because I didn't want to like lose my handheld. Um, you know, I usually I have my handheld in my pocket when I'm elk hunting and then when, you know, a bull's coming in or whatever, I'll hook it on. But I always worried about hitting that button and dropping it and then going to grab it and say, where is it? <laughs> you know? So um, I got a Carter, a Carter Quickie 2. I don't think they make that one anymore. I think they make the Carter Quickie, but the Quickie 2 was one that Randy Almer recommended. And it's got the hook away from the face like this instead of towards the face. So it's actually reversed than most index fingers that you'd see but i love that release i shoot it really well i shoot it the same way i hook into it like this and then my finger never moves i just pull 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 until it goes off so it's got a really a really nice trigger on it there's no travel or anything i love that release i could hunt with that no problem and then i also have a hinge release um that i shoot a lot i shoot that a lot in the off season i've been shooting that a lot lately and honestly i could hunt with that too i shoot it really well um it's just with that one, obviously you can't, you, I mean, you could hang it on your D loop, but it's a very high risk of getting knocked off. So I, I hunted with the hinge one season um, and I made three great shots on, on deer and uh, it just, yeah, I don't know. I, it just wasn't quite for me for hunting. What I noticed was um, at severe angles, like when I'm shooting flat in the backyard and I, you know, I let my thumb off that and I just kind of relax and the, the release rotates. That's all fine and good. But then when I'm in a tree stand and all of a sudden I'm down, you know, at shots like this or turning my body like this in a saddle, the, the speed of the release, not, not the actual speed of the release, but the speed that I was manipulating the release changed. And I just wasn't quite as consistent with that. And, and it kind of plays with your head a little bit. So I've left that more for practice. And I think what that does is just reinforces that unanticipated shot, which I've worked really hard to try to master. Um, that's really helped me when I, when I was going through target panic. So everything now is like, a, I kind of use that unanticipated release, that back tension where I just pull, pull, pull. I don't, I don't ever manipulate my fingers into the trigger. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, tried to, do the hinge last off season and it just freaked me out i'm, I'm gonna need some some lessons from you here because <laughs> it i can do i watched your video where you pull 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 with the thumb barrel um yep. handheld i can shoot it just fine like that with the unanticipated release but that that click with the hinge holy moly i i guess i just wasn't used to it it freaking <laughs> freaked me out when it clicked did you kind of jerk it it's like it, I would get it to the click and then I wouldn't relax anymore. I just, I would pull and, but my hand would just stay all tense and I just couldn't get it to go. I just didn't, yeah. I didn't, I'd like lock up, I guess. Yeah. So the hinges are, the hinges are interesting. Um, so like if you just relax your hand, like if you just let, let your hand, look at your hand and then just relax it. Like this is, this is the position that it, that's the natural relaxed position. It's not like this. It's like if you just let your fingers go, you see that angle right there? Yeah. So when you draw back a hinge, okay, and then you let your, your thumb off that, and then you rotate it to click, that's like, to me, that's like, okay, now I'm in the spot. Now I start my shot process. And if you just relax your hand, it automatically goes to that position. 
the hinge will automatically, as you relax, 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 your hand is just relaxing into that position and it's rotating the hinge and then it fires. Now, yes, you can pull, but when the way I always shot a hinge was I would come back, take my thumb off and I would rotate to click. And now I'm like, aim, aim, aim. And I'm just relax, relax, relax until it goes off. So you're still, you're still getting that unanticipated release because you're not hammering a trigger. And it's the same type of unanticipated release as if you're pull, 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 boom. But it's just a different way to get there. So it's you have to be able to relax that hand and just let it go to that natural position with a hinge. And it, it does. It takes some commitment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I can, like I said, I can do it with the thumb barrel release like you're doing where you relax. But for some reason that that hinge was, yeah, I was I was running into some roadblocks there. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's go on to arrows and, and whitetail arrows, Andy. And I, I know we're we're probably running on about an hour here already. Um, so maybe we could do part two in a in a couple weeks or something like that. Um, but let's sure. let's go through arrows and, and broadheads real quick and, and see if we can get in that from from a whitetail setup. You know, not you know not elk, cake buffalo, but but whitetail setup. What uh what what kind of air are you going? What weights? What diameter? You know, walk us through what you're using for that. Yep, I've used mainly um, I've used mainly day six arrows the last three years. Um, really like the the component system there. You know, if you go back four or five years, um, you know there were some great shafts out there, and you started getting you know you started getting those different types of inserts like the half the half outserts, they're half in, half out. And, you know, they were okay. But I think, um, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too. Sometimes, you you know, you hit a target at an angle or you hit something weird and you'll get, you know, you'll get that insert that busts through the shaft, you know, and you'll break it like that. Or you'll hit something hard in your target and then your the end of your shaft is like kind of mushroomed a little bit and it's trashed, right? It kind of shoves that insert in there. Well, um, there's a bunch of them now, but like the, the day six components, they have, um, one that goes in the shaft. So it's half in half out. And then there's a sleeve, a protective sleeve that goes over that. There's a few companies that do that now, but it's just, to me, that's a, just a superior design when it comes to durability. So I've been using those. I have a lot of confidence in those, but I, I continue to, um, I continue to mess around with some other shafts just because, I do enjoy archery. I do enjoy, you know, tinkering and trying different things. I try not to focus too much on that because I think some guys can focus so much on gear and archery and stuff. They don't focus enough on woodsmanship and scouting and some things that really matter. Like these things matter, but those other things matter more. Um, these, these are, I feel like when you kind of get that dialed in, um, then you can, you can afford to take a little bit of time away from that and put it towards your archery and your gear and your mobile setup. But if you're focusing a hundred percent on this, you're missing the boat on what really matters over here, you know, in the woodsmanship and spending time in the timber and learning the way deer move and the way mature bucks act and, and all that. So I think there's a balance. So I do love archery. I love trying new things. So, you know, every once in a while I'll get a, half dozen of other shafts and test them out and, and shoot them. 
my main whitetail arrow the last few years has come in right at like a 503 grains. Um, it's a day six, 300 spine with 55 grains up front in the insert and then a hundred grain point. So I, I consider that, you know, in my opinion, you know, and that I would consider like four, 30 to 530 to me that's kind of like midweight like anywhere in there is you know I think a, a really good sweet spot if I had to pick you know if I could pick like the ultimate arrow like what uh, where trajectory and hard hitting penetration um I'd probably I'd probably get right in that like 470 range for me 460 470 somewhere in there but I really like that 500 grain arrow. Um, I have broken shoulders. I've blown through stuff with it. Um, super durable. I've never broke one of their arrows. They have really thick walls. And, you know, uh, being honest, a lot of the other shafts I've shot, just even shooting them in the backyard at targets, like, you know, I'll break two, three, you know, a summer, you know, hit something in the, in that target, you hit a post or something, or it blows through and hits a rock. It's like, Oh, that one's trashed. I haven't done that yet with a day six arrow. So they're tough. Yeah. Um, and they got some, uh, you know, they got a new, um, Brian Broderick's the, the owner there. And, and he was kind of dead set on, you know, he, he wanted that arrow weight. Well, um, I think enough people have asked, he's going to come out with one that's slightly lighter. So we're going to get, you know, be able to get down into that 450, 460 nice. somewhere in there. So that should be, hopefully that's coming down the pipe, but that has been my arrow. Um, as far as, uh, fletching, I use, um, I use his fletching the day six, which I think are basically a max stealth. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think they're, they're basically a max stealth that are just rebranded, um, day six and they're the, the surface, um, that adheres to the arrow shaft is a little different and sticks a little better. I'm not sure what they did there. But um, he designed that so that it would have a little bit better adhesion. They they stay on really well. So I really like those. They're quiet. They're big enough in a four four fletch to steer a fixed head. Um, but they're quiet. Like my, I, I I've really liked the boning heat veins. Yeah. Be, because they're quiet. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're very quiet and uh, they steer uh, a mechanical great. But when I throw a fixed head on with those those heat veins, I don't get quite the, the forgiveness and accuracy that I like, but those, those day six, uh, fletchings, those, those do steer most fix heads, you know, I get, I'm sure you got to test it out, but, um, as far as like what I put at the end of the arrow, I would say 90% of the time I'm using a mechanical. Um, I've shot most of my deer with mechanical, but I always have two fixed heads in the quiver and I always have my bow set up so that those shoot, you know, those shoot together, maybe not at a hundred yards. Um, you know, if I shoot like a sever or a tripan at a hundred yards, they're going to hit, you know, real close to my field point. And if I throw a fixed head on there at a hundred yards, there's too much, there's too much blade exposed. You're going to get too much wind resistance. It's not going to hit in the same, but I'm, I'm not shooting at a hundred yards. So, right. you know, um, I have, I have a lot of confidence in a mechanicals that I use that they're going to hit where my pin is. And I can't say that I have that same confidence with the fixed head. I just, 
I can't. Now you give me in my backyard on a flat surface on a summer night with no wind. Yeah, I can shoot it pretty darn good. Yeah. But you get me on a tree stand with the wind blowing a little bit. Now all of a sudden my body's like this, you know, all of a sudden like the torque on my grip's a little different because I'm nervous. You know, my body's contorted like this. All of a sudden my, my form is crap. You know, I need and you're out of tune. You're out of tune. Yeah, exactly. My, yes, I need forgiveness at that, at that time. So when I use a fixed head, it's usually I'm on the ground hunting. Um, I'm in, you know, thicker cover. Like I hunt whitetails from the ground a lot. I do a lot of still hunting. And if I'm in thick stuff, I'll usually have one of those on. Um, if it's going to be like a 30 yard and in shot, hopefully even less than that. Um, but if I'm up in a tree more wide open, you know, in my saddle or something, 90% of the time I have, a I have a mechanical on. So there, there's a, there was a time this year. Um, there was a time this year where I shot a buck with a mechanical and I wish I had my fixed head and it, it cost me, I hit him right in the, right in the shoulder, you know, and I did not bust through it. And, um, so, and I was on the ground and, you know, it's one of those things where the previous 30 times I was in that scenario, I had a fixed head on, but that one time, I don't know why I just grabbed the tri pan, put it on the buck I was after comes through and, you know, I shot him from the ground and I hit him. I just, I aimed a little too far forward and hit him in the shoulder and, uh, and didn't recover him, you know? So it's, I, I do like to carry both because I do think both have their benefits. And, and for my style of hunting, because I do a lot of like sneaking around on the ground, still hunting, um, there's certain scenarios, certain types of habitat and certain hunts where I do think they, you know, the benefits of the, the fixed head outweigh the benefits of the mechanical, but 90% of my hunting, I think it's the other way. Yeah. Yeah, and so tripan and sever are your your mechanical mechanical choices. Those are the ones I've used the most. Yep, um, the tripan um, killed a lot of deer that very short track jobs. And I'm 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 red green colorblind, uh, not completely, but very much so. Tracking deer is very difficult for me. Um, seeing blood and the tripans, if I put it where it needs to be, I get really really short track jobs, and I personally need that. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yep. And then uh, I've had really good luck with those. And then as far as the severs, um, I, I can't say that I have super high confidence confidence in all the severs. I have used them all, but it's the it's the 1.5 is the one that I really, uh, really like. And to me, um, the reason the one that the reason it sets apart from the, the other two is the blade angle. So if you look at like the Sever 1.5, it has a, a very swept back blade angle. It's very tough. The blades are shorter, good blade angle, excellent penetration, super durable head. And then you look at the two inch ones and they're out like this and you really get more of that like slap cut and you can pair like a two inch Sever to a two inch um, tripan. The tripan has more of a swept back. So I, I think, right there between those two there's there's a there's a an area there where it's like i don't know there's a there's an angle where you get too much and it really really eats up that penetration eats it and alive. I, yep yep 
And I feel like I feel like that tripan blade angle is about as good as you can get with a two inch cut. And that that sever uh, 1.5 has just a nice swept back and it's an inch and a half cut. I mean, it just blows through everything. Yeah. So those are the two I have the most confidence in. But, you know, broadheads are something that um, I enjoy looking at and trying new things and testing them out. And uh, but over the past few years, those have been the, the the two that I've used the most and had the most confidence in, but I'll, I'll continue to try other things, you know? Yeah, we're going to do, uh, we got a test coming up in March. We've got some new ones. There's one called a VIP. There's one called a, there's a Clovis out now. I, I can't remember, but it's three or four new that have hit the market that are pretty interesting. I, I follow a group that, that Joel Maxfield's a part of called high energy uh, bow hunting. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the opposite of, of the heavy era crowd, heavy era, um, you know, single bevel crowd. It's, it's the other end of the, of the spectrum. And it's good to see different points of views. And they, they put a couple, couple broadheads on there that are interesting that we want to, want to try out. Um, so yeah, it, it is fun messing with all that stuff. And <clears throat> I'm with you, man. I, I've shot a couple deer with the severs, but the tripan um, over the last five years is just, it is the, the blood trails you get. And, and I hadn't had penetration. I've lost two bucks in the last five years. One was shot with an iron wheel wide high in the shoulder. And one was shot with a tripan high in the shoulder, basically the same exact spot. I hit, just hit them bad. I made bad shots and they both got away. But I, I think if I'd hit them with a 300 wind mag right there, they'd have gotten away. It just was not, it was too high. It was maybe not. Kevin says, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay a six five creed more how about that there you go well <laughs> um, let me ask you uh i i got a question for you i mean you've you've killed uh you know tons of critters um you know not just whitetail you killed mule deer and you know elk and ibex and and i don't know how many of those are archery kills but i know you've killed a lot of species with archery what what's your uh if you were if you were going to build an all around arrow that could kill, you know, anything that you've hunted, maybe, maybe like you said, take away like Buffalo, you know, some yeah. of those, those crazy size, maybe even a moose, but um, you know, what, what would be your, your ultimate all around arrow? Cause ultimately that's what I want. I want something that r r right now I use something different for antelope than I do for whitetail because uh, the trajectory is more important to me than, you know, the penetration, cause it's not an issue with those. So I, I, I want to get something that is, you know, in the wheelhouse, that's good for everything. And I, in my mind, I know, in my opinion, I know what I think it is, but I'm curious what you think it is. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm a little over 70 pounds, 29 inch draw. Uh, speed is an important thing to me that I, that I've found. I like to be right around 300 feet per second, you know, maybe a little under, um, and, and I like a 470 grain arrow on, on the dot. And, and I will shoot that tripan from red stag elk all the way down to, you know, small whitetails here in South Carolina. Uh, I, I have zero problem with, with that setup. Um, I, I think the kinetic energy that's produced out of that, as well as the momentum, um, you know, that, that's always the argument is, is momentum and kinetic energy. But I, I've, after all of our testing that we've done and, and, you know, I've, I've shot 20 bucks in the last three years and, and 
just seeing it over and over. And I've hit them everywhere. I've hit them in the scapula. I've shot one through the leg bone that had his leg way back. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't get great penetration with the tripan there, but I got into both lungs and he went 80 yards and he was dead. Um, and I just think that that weight, 470, gives you the, enough uh, butt behind the arrow, if you will, you know, uh, enough um, momentum. And it's flat shooting. You know, it, it helps you so much with any misjudgment and yardage. And the tripan broadhead over and over and over and over again has just proven itself to be super deadly. So that's, you know, the sever, I've, I've heard really good things about it. Talked to some guys that have shot a lot of bears with them. And those w big wings, I don't know if you've heard this, but the wings they have on them are, are pretty substantial. And on mm -hmm. the entry, I'm hearing about a ton of hair getting coated on the on the blades and them not cutting as well as, as, as say, a tripan. I, I don't know that from firsthand because I, I haven't shot a bear with them, but, but I'm hearing that. And if you look at the broadhead design, you can see those big tabs. I guess mm -hmm. there could be, but, you know, a whitetail, you know, I guess a big northern whitetail like Michigan or Alberta is going to have, you know, more hair. But you, you've shot plenty with the, the sever, so, you, you I mean, you, you're obviously not having that issue. But that, that's really the only thing that I've heard on the sever. Um, but yeah, that you, you, that would be my my arrow weight range is is in that 470 range, and then a tripan up front, and then I love the heat veins, and I, I run nocturnals on the back. I've really had you know, and we're brand neutral, man. We'll we'll try anything, um, mm -hmm. you know. If if the, you know, I, I got some of those fire knocks, but I, I didn't get my PhD in electrical engineering um, in high school or college, so I was never able to to, to figure those out. Um, but what about you on the knocks? Are you, are you a nocturnal guy or do you use something different? Yeah, I use nocturnals. Um, I've used those the last, I don't know, dozen years or so. And, uh, I've actually shot, um, multiple long, like did the long range test. Like I said, I test everything. I don't throw a knock on without testing it against the knocks that I, you know, the standard knocks. Um, and I'll try different different knocks to see what what groups the best, what's most forgiving. And I will say, like at at my longer ranges, like if I go um, with the day six um, the day six arrows, like their stock knock, and then I put a nocturnal in there. You know, when I'm shooting at eighty yards, um, I'm not co getting quite the same grouping. Um, and I think a lot of that just has to do with knock fit and uh, you know on the string and um, but it's so, it's so negligible, you know, you're talking, let's say 80 yards, you might be talking like, you know, a, a three and a half inch or four inch group versus a five inch group. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a clear, there's a clear winner, but does it really matter? I'm not really going to shoot anything 80 yards, but um, the, often I have to shoot that distance to really see which one comes out on top. And then I'll say, is it worth changing? Is it, you know, is it, is it, is the the cost worth the benefit and the benefit of the nocturnals for me is is being able to see where that arrow hits when you shoot and that arrow goes it's like it leaves an imprint in your brain where it disappeared and you kind of immediately know or at least have a really good idea where you hit that animal and that's a huge piece of the puzzle yeah. um so you know you shoot in low light without a, a lighted knock you just you might hear a thud and, and you don't know you yeah. know 
And then you get a guy like me who can't follow a blood trail very good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like you, being able to see where I hit the deer, that that's a, that's a huge advantage to a guy like me. Like I need all the clues I can get. No, I, I get so, that. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and my eyes are starting to get bad. The older I get, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, Kevin and I were talking about that today. Mm-hmm. We're going to start wearing our cheaters and, and it, it, it doesn't make me look near as tough when I have my glasses on, but I'm, I'm going to have to start doing it. <laughs> yeah. It happened to me this year. My eyes, uh, like I've really noticed like up close, my, my eyesight is, is really getting bad, but it happened to me this year. It actually cost me a buck. I had a buck coming in a nice one in here in Michigan. It was low light, you know, probably the last five minutes of daylight, you know, and I have a, I have a slider on there and um, I don't remember. He was like, he was just past 20 or something, but I, I was looking at my dial and I was like, gosh, I can't even see the numbers on it, you know? And I was just like, I could see, I had a, I had an HHA on there and I was looking, I could see the little colors, you know, like the, it's, it's colored like 20, 40, 60. But then I was like, are the colors every 10 or ever they every 20? I couldn't remember, you know, so I'm doing this and it's like, I'm messing with it, trying to like figure it out. Next thing you know, he's, he's kind of through the lane. I'm like, all right, well, that's, yeah, that's an that. issue. <laughs> Got to figure that one out. So yeah, it's, it's the last two, three years, man, my eyesight has really gone down. And, and that's part of the reason I have trouble tracking, you know, um, not only the color blindness, but just that, that low light vision of mine is not what it what it was so you gotta I mean, just I, adapt I, right Everything i put tough. mine on yeah i put mine on my glasses i'll take them with me and put them on you know not, not the whole time but when it starts to get low light i mean it gives me 10 more minutes yeah you know, be able to see in the low light with just regular glasses on so uh, maybe i'll cam up and put some osseo camo on them and make them look cool that, that, that's there you go yeah yeah lenses too no no i see a little more deer than you <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, well, man, I, I I appreciate you spending your Monday night with us. Um, and and we got a ton more questions on here. And and if it's all right with you, man, I'll I'll text you next week or something, and we'll maybe try and schedule a another time to do do a conclusion here if if that works for you. Absolutely, yeah. Anytime, man. It was fun. I love a lot of the podcasts I do are. are talking tactics and i'm happy to talk tactics i love talking tactics but every once in a while it's, it's fun to deep dive into the, the fun stuff like this archery so that's good stuff man well thank you so yep. much andy we appreciate it guys look, look up uh, andy on instagram uh, bow hunting dad is is his instagram page and um yeah he's got a bunch of cool stuff going on and, and a heck of a hunter and a heck of an archer so andy thank you again buddy for coming on and um i'll shoot you a text all right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right, it. Appreciate See it. Ya. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.